nursing industry is one of the fastest growing career forces in the world today. There are so many issues in the healthcare field these days relating to nurses that simply are not discussed in the media. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with Leanne Meyer. Our program will help you with the most relevant information if you're in the nursing field or are planning to enter the industry. Now, here is your host, Leanne Meyer. Good morning, this is Leanne Meyer, and this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing. We're back together on Monday, um, for some of you, uh, later than morning, but for me, um, still morning, I guess. Um, the topic today, I, I found myself today with a session that I hadn't uh, planned a guest, and I decided this might be a good day to just kind of uh, wing it on some of my own thoughts. And so I've titled this, Some Thoughts About Gender Equality. And I think these last couple of weeks have brought up a lot of thoughts and a lot of memories for a lot of people, and maybe particularly for nurses also. So I want to just uh, uh, mention again, these, these are my thoughts, and this is my perspective of this whole topic. And... Um, so I would be very happy to have people call in and, and give me some of your thoughts, uh, particularly in reference to uh, your experiences as a nurse. So um, the last couple of weeks of September 2018 have been tough ones for a great majority of women in not only America, but around the world. It began when a brave woman came forward to tell a story that had haunted her for 36 years. She sat terrified in front of a Senate Judiciary Committee, millions of Americans, and uncountable millions from countries around the world. I have a tiny little sense of what she must have been feeling because I'm feeling nervous just in this little forum. So uh, for many of us, uh, and I assume anyone who, who has been bullied, harassed, assaulted, demeaned, uh, some people would call it toughened up, by someone else's cruelty, there was probably a reveal or a remembered moment last week for you. Uh, for millions, it maybe even was qualified as uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, depending on how strong those memories and, and how strong that, that situation was for you. For those uh, who have perpetrated such moments on others, it was perhaps inconsequential crocodile tears, and so many more put-downs and rationalizations to make it appear to be really nothing. To top it off, the President of the United States of America, some might say the leader of the free world, got up in front of thousands of cheering supporters and television cameras and mocked this woman. Then asked essentially, why don't these people come forward at the time, not 36 years later? The situation answers its own question, and certainly why so many women who are in situations like this simply do not come forward because they are afraid of being treated in exactly the way that this woman uh, has been. Dr. Blasey Ford, I was de debating whether to use her name, but I guess everybody knows who she is, um, was this one person who came forward and showed exquisite courage and determination to just tell her truth 
and not embellish it in any way, shape, or form, and um, just put it out there for others to make decisions that were necessary. So these experiences are not new, and they're not rare. They go back to the beginning of human time and happen millions of times a day, sometimes subtly and sometimes ending in torture and death. But at its core, it is the same thing. I can't possibly take on this huge topic uh, here in 45 minutes. I'm someone who has, has to boil things down to its simplest components to understand the concept. My experience is so minor as to be minuscule in the world scheme of things, on this topic at least. But it is, uh, this today is what I know about it, so bear with me. I was born the third child in a family of two older boys to loving, intelligent parents who were scrimping to get by financially. My dad was a traditionalist and believed uh, a man did not allow his wife to work no matter what. My mom grew up on a farm and worked her whole life. So sitting around waiting for him to get home from school and two jobs to have time for her was torture. But she had pledged to love, honor, and obey. So um, I did a lot of research and um, much deliberation. I watched the adults, both men and women, in all different frames of reference that I had access to. And uh, I watched their everyday ins and outs, the, the men, from what I could see, leaving for the day and the women staying back to create a springboard for every other person in the family to be able to do what they needed and wanted to do. So at the ripe old age of four, I clearly decided that I was going to grow up and be a boy. Uh, it was very, very clear to me that girls did not have a very good side of things, and that was all there was to it. So needless to say, uh, that didn't work out very well for me. Um, I did gradually over time become aware that the boys had more freedom than I did, um, you might say, because they were three and four years older than me. But um, there was more to it than that. And even as a, a very young girl, I could see uh, the makings of, of seeing more to it than that. So I watched, uh, I learned about the bonding of boys and that no girls were allowed, um, which just made me want to prove all that more that I was just as good as they were and fully capable of anything they were capable of, which of course just made them want me not to be around uh, more than anything else. I remember the first time I was pinned down by a boy um, and deeply realized that I was truly helpless to extricate myself. There was no evil intent on the part of the boy. Uh, it was just wrestling around. I think we may have even been playing pretend football. Uh, but the impact on that realization imprinted on my mind, burned into my brain, that realization that when around boys, there were going to be times when I would not be able to take care of myself. So even while young, I had uh, friends that were boys. Uh, usually they were younger than me and often people that I felt I could boss around, uh, feel in control, uh, maybe take on that role that I saw my brothers doing. Uh, 
And so as I continued to grow, I found that teasing was a very fun activity that boys like to do. I was told that I should just enjoy it, that that meant the boys liked me, that they were taking the effort to tease. Um, And uh, so the teasing was really not very fun for me because those teasing names came in the form of ugly, knobby knees, long john silver. I had broken a front tooth early in my life and I had a silver front tooth until I stopped growing. Uh, and it could be replaced by a white one. So for a very long time, they had lots of material with which to tease me. And uh, when the boys could see that it bothered me, then gangs of boys would follow and would chant uh, those very things that were annoying. Uh, I think it was in the sixth grade, um, actually, I guess earlier than that, in the fifth grade, uh, at the end of a school session and at the school picnic, a bunch of boys surrounded me and wrapped a garter snake that somebody had taken the head off, or maybe the head was already off, I don't know, and the guts were dripping out of it, and they wrapped it around my neck. Um, All that I remember is a blur of boys' faces all around me so closely, um, and they were shrieking with laughter. Uh, Clearly, this was a very, very funny event for them. Uh, They were holding my hands down so I couldn't remove it, I felt like I couldn't breathe. Uh, I'm sure I felt claustrophobia. I was both ashamed and raging mad at the same moment. I don't know if I was chosen or simply that I was the closest girl, but the effect was very personal. I had no words for what I felt until years later, but what I was feeling was gang rape, and um, I had terrifying dreams about it long into my 30s. But some would say nothing really happened. The boys were chastised at the time, and most people said, yeah, boys will be boys. I even heard a few people say she probably deserved it. Then came nursing school after a whole round of high school with its learnings and understandings and confusion and all the other things that everybody goes through in high school. And I came into nursing school, and, uh, you know, you would think it would be clear sailing, being that 90% of the women working in the hospital were women. And it was probably even higher than that in the 1970s. Uh, But 99% of the administration and the doctors were men. Teasing and whistling came back into being from orderlies and mail workers, from housekeeping to interns. Uh, The mostly foreign interns had a table in the cafeteria right beside the door the student nurses had to go through to go pretty much anywhere. They openly judged us on a 10-point scale. Uh, Many of the interns were a pretty scummy lot. They smelled bad. Um, They uh, had broken English. They were... Um, I think, you know, something we had never experienced from other countries and uh, other places. And so they were a little bit terrifying to some of us anyway. Um, But they basically told us that we should be flattered by their attention. And of course, there were probably none of us that were flattered. 
Uh, there were boys at um, parties that we would go to, or perhaps even uh, if we went out to bars or wherever it was that we were going and people would hit on us, um, that were um, like the latest fill-in-the-blank student-nurse movie. I was so naive at the time, somebody actually had to tell me that what the boys were talking about was porn movies. Uh, The smart, confident girls had snappy comebacks, but I just blushed and raged inside and just tried to get away. Uh, One boy among a gang of boys uh, out in a kind of a wooded area, uh, there were other girls around, but I felt pretty alone at the time. Uh, invited me to his truck so that he could make me feel really good. I wasn't exactly sure what it was that he was uh, intending, but I was pretty sure it was nothing that I was interested in. So all of this came uh, under the banner of boys will be boys. And we were kind of uh, encouraged to just, you know, let it go. Not a big deal. Uh, However, there were a few girls that rumors went around that uh, with their will or against their will had gotten into difficult situations. Some of those girls were forced to go home or were so um, distraught after the situation that they felt they had to go home. Um, So that was something we were vaguely aware of, not necessarily specific aware, aware of, unless perhaps that was one of our friends. So um, we had, um, actually, I think I'm going to wait on this next portion. We'll um, come back after this break and uh, can go into it a little bit more more in in depth. Um, So this, if you're just coming in on this show right now, this is Once a Nurse, even though you might not think it is. This is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. And I am Leanne Meyer. Um, This topic today is basically about some of my thoughts on gender equality based on some of the events that have been happening over the last couple of weeks. So I hope you will come back and I hope you will call in if you have some uh, topics that you would like to share with me. So we will be back in just a couple minutes. listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus check out exclusive programming including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events and short features. High definition, premier quality programs available 24/7 voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has a mobile app for iOS, Android, or Amazon Kindle. Visit the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. If you like what you're hearing on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, consider supporting the show. In the one year since the show started, 
We've increased our listening audience by nearly 7,900% and our goal to reach 50 countries and counting. Whether you are looking to reach a regional, national, or worldwide audience, you'll have a competitive advantage by advertising on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. It's the perfect platform. Contact senior executive producer Tacey Trump today at 480-294-6421. That's 480-294-6421. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Thank you for coming back. This is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing. I'm Leanne Meyer, and I'm just trying to kind of rove through some thoughts that I have had over the years and have been feeling over the last couple of weeks in regard to gender equality or maybe inequality is the word. Um, I was talking previously about just, you know, from my uh, birth and going through just all of the different things that happen in life where you're exposed to various different um, experiences that maybe don't make sense and you try to make sense out of them. Um, And, you know, uh, many times you just don't have the resources to truly understand and maybe not even enough language about it to be able to ask anybody about it. So um, at the point that I had ended uh, the first part of this, I was talking about being uh, in nursing school as a freshman and all of the increased confusion that seemed to come into being as uh, got into the... um, dating mode and, um, you know, just in general dealing with more um, uh, men, probably we thought of them as boys at the time, Um, but people who were, you know, generally getting much bigger and were than us and were uh, definitely more interested in us for sex. So um, one of the things that happened around that time is that there was uh, an uh, increased incidence of our dorms becoming a target. We had three separate dorms of nursing uh, students, all girls, um, that were a target of a series of rapists. And um, we tried to look at it um, as, uh, I don't know, false bravado, I suppose, but we would refer to them generally as Randy the Rapist because we never really knew. I don't think anybody was ever caught, and I'm not sure how strongly the police ever really pursued it. 
So um, we talked about it endlessly uh, as girls um, trying to figure out how on earth, what is happening, what what makes us a target. And, and we became aware that just because we were uh, pretty much an all-girls school and that there were so many girls readily available there that were uh, young, uh, that just that was enough to bring uh, men to our to our dorms. So uh, one uh, rapist I remember in particular had uh, worked out a whole uh, series of, of things that allowed him to be able to leave uh, a back door open, propped open. And so he was able to make it all the way to a girl's dorm room. Um, because it was just girls in the dorm, we readily opened doors without knowing who was there when we were pretty sure it was going to be another girl. Uh, so he got all the way into her room. She had just uh, finished her psych rotation and engaged him in talk and got him to talk for, I believe it was over an hour about various different subjects and just trying to listen to him and, um, uh, you know, try to understand him, but basically just keeping him busy talking. And lo and behold, he uh, remembered that he had left his car running and got up and ran out. Uh, I don't know if that was really true, if he suddenly was embarrassed at what it was he was trying to do. I'm not sure. Uh, but at any rate, we as girls thought that was a brilliant thing for her to do. And the police saw it a completely different way. Um, another situation somewhat similar in a different dorm, uh, a locked dorm, as they all were. Um, a student uh, had a poster. She was on a second floor and um, her door was closed. And she had a poster on the outside of the door that was from a local fast food restaurant that basically said, come and get it. So um, the person got into her room, raped her, and after the police had been called and she had been questioned about it, uh, they didn't pursue the, the, um, the rapist at all. They didn't do any uh, uh, discovery or, or detective work or anything about it, and the reason was because she had asked for it by having that poster on her on her door on a second floor of a locked dorm that she had asked for it. So I could go on and on. Um, I think that some of the things we tried to talk about, we tried to understand, we tried to prepare ourselves in whatever way we could. We thought, you know, what is it um, that's different about men of our age uh, that was different from us? And we thought maybe um, they had a higher libido, that they had raging hormones. That's what we had been told, that peer pressure um, to, to not be um, uh, the last one among their group, perhaps, to have had sex. Uh, um, I, I don't know, but I guess boys, by my observation, uh, seemed to be easily turned on by girls and believed that the girl had somehow done something that had caused that effect. And as long as they believed it was coming from outside of them, they felt that they had been led on and that it was okay for them to pursue um, that tendency or that what they thought was happening. Um, this happened uh, everywhere we would go. It happened at bars. It happened uh, just on the street. It, um, 
it happened in so many different ways. People who were uh, working construction on a street might start catcalling and whistling. And while they may have thought it was uh, it, it, that we were flattered by it, we were far from flattered. We were terrified by it and didn't know really whether somebody was going to come after us, if there would be some other repercussion that would come from it. So, uh, again, a real disconnect in con- uh, communication. So um, I could go on and on. I, at one point, was a, as a student nurse, I was uh, working in the OR during uh, weekends and um, during the summer and holidays. And I quickly discovered that um, that was also an area that in the 70s was considered um, open season on particularly nursing students. I don't know what happened when the nursing students were, weren't around, if the... the um, Female nurses got some of that. I know that there was a lot of banter that went back and forth, and I think it was considered um, that was what was normal and fun. It was fun to tease and go along with this. But still, we would hear stories about things where nurses might get fired or uh, things would happen um, that maybe things went a little too far. But it was rare that it, the doctor or the, the man would um, have any kind of repercussion for it. So uh, I remember there was one doctor that I know the nurses didn't like either. He was extremely unprofessional and immature. I can remember him um, feeling that once the patient was asleep, anything it was open season on anything. So he would uh, routinely scratch his crotch uh, through his sterile gown and with his gloves on and then proceed to do his um, procedure on whatever the person was he was doing it on. I remember in particular, he had a a very obese patient that he was, um, I forget what the, I think he was doing a cholecystectomy, and he decided he was doing the patient a favor by removing about five pounds of fat with the scalpel. Uh, Unfortunately, he also removed her belly button in the course of doing that, and he did not have um, surgical permission to do it. I do believe he got uh, sued for that. I don't know how that all came out. But teasing and tormenting student nurses was uh, fair game and lots of fun, except for the nurses. Uh, What I finally learned is that many of these men were and are bullies, and that if you face up to them, hopefully respectfully, and call their bluff, nine times out of ten, they will back down. What I know uh, for sure is that the the behavior goes back as far as women have been able to tell their stories and even way back further than that, I'm sure. Um, I believe it exists because it's allowed. And uh, societies and culture all over the world and by women and others who do not stand together to reveal that these um, so-called emperors truly have no clothes. Um, wanted to talk a little bit more. I guess part of part of why I think this continues to happen is as women, as I said before, it's almost like when you hear about uh, people who have groomed children for sexual abuse, they prepare them to feel like whatever it is that's going to come is okay, that it's right, that it's normal. And I feel like that's how many young women, girls, um, are, are groomed for a lifetime. 
uh, I more or less began to think that um, uh, it was sort of the fate of women, like it or not. And um, through it all, I still kind of believed in the old patterns that men should look out for women and protect them. And uh, I thought that women should or men should fight for women if they were with a girlfriend and some somebody was uh, being disrespectful, that that boy should be willing to go and, and fight for that girl. Now, when I think about it, I think that's, you know, kind of amazing that um, that I would think that would be something that should happen. Um, I guess there's lots of pressures that are put on boys as well as girls in these systems. Um, my experience was mostly being around Christian guys that I thought were pretty much good guys and that would knowingly hurt a girl against her wishes. I thought it was thugs, bad boys, and criminals that you had to watch out for. The problem was being able to tell one from another. When I was in nursing school, we um, got into our psych rotation. And at that time, there was, you know, women's lib had started in the 60s and it certainly had escalated into the 70s when I was in nursing school. And so there was a lot of uh, books written by women, lots of topics, lots of lectures that were going on uh, around regarding these topics. And I remember as a psych assignment, we were asked to read a book by a feminist. And at that time, um, I guess you could read that as nasty woman and um, someone who was going against the grain of of our culture um, that had been upholding the the uh, virtue of women, I guess, something like that, and that we were required to go to her lecture um, at the local college. And I reluctantly went simply because it was an assignment and I was a responsible student. I went, but I went with my arms folded, lips locked, and prepared to adamantly disapprove and disagree with whatever she had to say. But as she got going and I started listening, I started hearing things that came within my round of experience, my realm of experience. Um, she talked about a white male society that um, basically was kind of at the top of the feeding chain and that every other society was kind of at some place beneath it. Uh, certainly women, uh, various kinds of race relations, um, people that were from other countries, immigrants, um, poor people, on and on and on, all of these different separate societies that if you were a part of that society, you understood your own culture very well, and you probably understood the cultures that had some control or power over you all the way up to and through the white male society. But that white male society up at the top had no reason to ever try to find out about any of those people that they were uh, empowered empower over. Um, And so it was very easy for them to discount uh, any of the uh, concerns or considerations that those people perhaps brought forward. So one of the things that this woman said, and I remember her name as being Marianne Schaaf, but I just have not been able to find anything on the internet um, to confirm that. Uh, Maybe somebody else does if you want to call in and and talk about your experiences with that. But one of the things she talked about is that men tended to think that women were sick, bad, crazy, or stupid. And I had to 
stopped short when I heard that because that's something I had actually heard men in my environment say, those exact very words. Um, you know, even to people who were very intelligent, very capable, uh, even professional women, um, that they would hold these beliefs about. And so it was one of the first things that she said that really stopped me in my tracks. She talked about that uh, when men were courting, that they made uh, uh, winning over this this person as their job. They put everything into it. They would uh, want to please this person. They wanted to talk about things that this person was interested in. They were willing to do whatever it took to win this person over uh, during the courting period. They would listen to her deep thoughts for hours, go dancing, buy nice gifts, go shopping with her if she wanted to, even if that was something that was you know, really like the last thing on earth they would ever want to do. Um, their their goal, the end point, was uh, marriage. And they felt that once they got married, that they had done their part on the relationship um, uh, realm, and that from then on it was up to her to meet their needs from then until death do us part. And that also t- tended to ring a bell for me with various of my friends who would come around to me and say, oh, I've got the one in a million guy. You can't believe it. He's just so fantastic. And he does this and this and this. And he's just so wonderful and so amazing. And we'd all kind of roll our eyes and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait until you're married for a couple of years. And she would, of course, say, oh, no, he's not like that. He's not going to be that kind of person. And then sure enough, within a couple of years and a baby or two, uh, she would be saying the same thing, that uh, she seemed to be needing to put most of her work uh, into meeting the needs that he had and was even convinced that that was what her job was to do, um, that he no longer um, needed to fill, fulfill her needs. So those are some of the things that kind of made me start to think, well, maybe there was more to this women's lib. Um, I still felt like it was more like human lib because what, again, as I said before, I felt like there were plenty of things that in that old realm of how our world was running that really was about um, keeping both sexes within a very tight leash of what they were required to do or supposed to do or whatever. And I thought that maybe everybody needed to take a look at that and see if we could reframe how we interacted with each other and the kind of work that we did together and apart. And I held that for quite a long time. So um, so uh, still some more thoughts, I guess, about this. Um, I'm going to, uh, I'm coming up close to a break, and I think this might be a good place to take a break. So I'm going to go ahead and do that now. And uh, this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. And this is Leanne Meyer. So if you were wondering if you were on the right day and time and on the right show, you are. And I would be very happy to have you call in. Um, uh, You'll get the phone number at the end of this commercial break. And I would love to have you call in and share any thoughts and experiences that you might have had. 
So um, we'll be back in just a couple minutes. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. If you like what you're hearing on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, consider supporting the show. In the one year since the show started, we've increased our listening audience by nearly 7,900% and our goal to reach 50 countries and counting. Whether you are looking to reach a regional, national, or worldwide audience, you'll have a competitive advantage by advertising on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. It's the perfect platform. Contact senior executive producer Tacey Trump today at 480-294-6421. That's 480-294-6421. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Hi, I'm back. This is Leanne Meyer, and this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Thank you for returning. Um, This topic today is just some of my thoughts about gender inequality, and um, particularly in the realm of nursing. So what I was talking about previous to this was up to my nursing school. I really did think that once I became a real nurse, this kind of problem wouldn't happen anymore. I would be seen as professional, and um, it just wouldn't happen. But I continue to hear stories of nurses being fired for standing up to a doctor on behalf of their mutual patient. Hospital grapevines were always in high speed in reference to doctors, residents, interns, who should be given a wide berth for various different reasons. 
ordinary discussions in a cafeteria with a male employee uh, who may have worked in various different places might change um, with every conversation or comment into an embarrassing sexual double entendre. Um, because it seemed like the man was more comfortable with having uh, this type of a conversation with a woman than having any other normal conversation he might have with a man. Often it would come to the point that the nurse would become so embarrassed or frustrated that she would just get up and leave, which seemed to be great fun for the guys. So um, I did have a much more dangerous situation that involved um, a heparin order that I had uh, from a first-year resident in the middle of the night. And I had called the resident with the lab update and received a questionable order from him. I wrote it down, read it back, talked to him to see if he was awake, gave gave him, in fact, I called him right back after I hung up uh, to uh, give him the lab result again, just in case he wasn't quite awake. Uh, I questioned the order, asked him if that he was sure that's what he wanted to order. He chastised me and demanded that I follow the order. Uh, I did, I just was in torment about what to do with it. So I held the order until almost the end of my shift. I then um, reported off to the nurses coming on what had happened Uh, told them what I had received as an order from him, what I had done, and that I would appreciate it if they would follow up on it. Um, So I got a call at home later that morning after I had fallen asleep, and they woke me up. The nurses called me again. They wanted just to make sure that uh, what the order was that I had received, and even though I was coming out of a deep sleep, I told them what the order was, and they said that's what they thought they had heard. They also said they had found the scrap of paper I'd written it down initially on and thrown in the wastebasket. I'd written it on the order sheet. Um, I had written in my notes that I'd called the doctor back. So fortunately, I had um, done enough things that covered my butt. But what had actually ended up happening is when the first resident came back to the floor that morning and read the orders and realized what he had done, he, he went completely pale in, in a panic, called the second resident, uh, second year resident, to come down. And that re- resident took him by the shoulders and at the nurse's station in front of everybody else, shook him and said, you didn't make a mistake. The night nurse made a mistake. So um, there you go, that pesky anonymous night nurse who hadn't put in nearly as many hours and money into her education as he had into his it was going to be much easier to lose her than it was to lose this first-year resident doctor. It taught me a very strong lesson. So, um, and, and many others like that along the way over time. I learned from older nurses um, how to stand up for myself and do it in a respectful way. I found that that worked much better. I realized that over time... Um, that people who were, um, I don't know, uh, addicted maybe to doing this type of behavior didn't see anything wrong with it, uh, especially if it was somebody who was not from what they considered their class or from the level that they saw themselves at. Um, and so um, I, I felt like n- there wasn't anything that I could bring forward that would 
changed their mind about it. Uh, facts didn't seem to make any difference. I, um, I don't remember the facts from the time, but I was looking up uh, some recent facts that uh, for every 1,000 rapes, 310 of them are reported. 57 might lead to arrest. 11 get referred to prosecutors. 7 lead to felony conviction. And six of those might be actually incarcerated. So out of 1,000 rapes, 994 perpetrators walk free. Why would somebody who has this inclination have any concern uh, about being uh, caught or being held accountable? Uh, As we have seen before many, many times, um, people are not who have had this and whether that's men or women or, uh, you know, various different races or whatever, who have not been treated fairly often are not listened to or believed um, uh, depending on who they are and what power they hold in society. And oftentimes it comes down to money. So um, I also found that court cases don't seem to make a difference either. Uh, Even very, um, Obvious or, or court cases that have been in the uh, in the media for great periods of time, uh, or in the past, and of course now I've lost my my piece of paper that I had to uh, talk about that. Um, here it is. So uh, probably one that uh, we we've been talking about an awful lot lately has been the Clarence Thomas hearings. Uh, that happened in 1991, and the nation, just like it did in the last couple of weeks, came to a standstill as all of uh, that situation was televised in the Senate Judiciary Committee, including some of the same senators who were there this past couple of weeks. And the law professor, Anita Hill, testified that she had suffered sexual harassment um, by the soon-to-be-named Associate Justice of the United States Supreme Court. And that case uh, put the issue of workplace sexual harassment out in the open and propelled countless conversations um, and articles. Um, It seemed like Anita Hill sort of lifted the veil for a vast part of the public who were not aware of this type of behavior and could not believe that somebody who was a professional would engage in it. Um, In fact, after that time period, Lots of things did happen where some laws were passed about uh, the rights of human rights, including uh, the right to uh, not be persecuted for for race or religion or gender and many other things. Um, Because of those laws, many uh, trainings started happening in large organizations like the one that I belong to. And those trainings came around. It was done with teachers. It was done with videos. It was done with books in many different ways. But what I noticed was many times um, people took it with sort of a grain of salt. Uh, Some people even thought it was hilarious and didn't feel it was anything that they needed to follow. And where it really had to, um, in order to have it be taken more seriously, believably, is there had to be consequences that followed through after the training. And at that point, I was in human resources development, and I was doing some of the training 
for these um, type of classes. And I was involved in, with the administration. And fortunately, I was with a wonderful um, administration who truly believed that we had to follow up. And um, we, I was part of a, a, a pair of people in our uh, organization that were uh, looking into the laws behind this. We uh, interviewed many law firms about it. We came up with a policy and procedure about um, uh, various of these aspects of uh, confronting somebody who had been accused, uh, what a manager needed to do, what human resources needed to do about it, keeping confidentiality by, while still going and, and um, uh, doing detective work from the people who might have been immediately involved or know about the situation, and then taking uh, action against the person. Uh, in some cases, it was a woman. some cases, it was a man. And uh, in some cases, it, it may have been uh, somebody who was trying to get back at um, somebody that they were angry with for one reason or another. So really trying to find out what was at the core of the situation and then dealing with it appropriately. And I was very proud to be a part of an organization that took that seriously. It made me feel, maybe naively again, that all other organizations, uh, large and small in every um, area of the, um, uh, of the country and, and every kind of uh, um, organization, every kind of co- corporation, were doing that also. And it wasn't until more recently that I began to realize that was not the case. So even movies that were coming out, and the one that comes to mind for me was North Country, which happened to be about Minnesota. Uh, It's a fictional account of the first successful sexual harassment lawsuit. Uh, The director and and writer uh, based the film on a book class action, the story of Lois Jensen, and the landmark case that changed sexual harassment law. And the novel chronicles the real-life case of uh, Jensen versus Eveleth Taconite Company in northern Minnesota. And it's a gripping story, but still, even when I went to watch it, I saw people coming out of the movie, mostly men, who thought it was hilarious and funny and um, not something they needed to take seriously. So basically, this comes back to uh, everyone who is in a situation like this. And and to people who have never been in it, it's very, very hard to understand how deeply this cuts and how deeply it impacts a person, especially where, uh, like the case of Dr. Blasey Ford, uh, no rape actually occurred. Uh, Still, the situation is just as damaging. And it's like a thousand tiny cuts So from birth to wherever you are in your life, it's so many minuscule little problems and big things that keep forcing you back into a place of not feeling like you have worth, that you have value, and that you can stand up for yourself in some of these situations. So um, ultimately, I think that... um, as, as people, we come down to a situation where we have some choices that we need to make if we've been in this situation. Uh, first, I think we need more women in places of power uh, 
to balance the uh, men that are there to hopefully bring some more balance to um, the discussions that are happening to put a more serious nature on the world of work. We need uh, consequences for people, men and women, who flaunt these rules and laws. In uh, times past, ethics were taught in churches and by leaders in communities, judges, doctors, nurses, teachers, lawyers, police officers, who took their jobs and duties seriously. Now those people are as likely to be in abuse of the laws as the so-called criminals. Who do kids look up to? Where do they find a solid foundation and a North Star? People who have been harmed um, because of these situations have some choices. They can be angry and rage against society and their attackers. They can do unto others what's been done unto them. They can become depressed and find a place by whatever means possible that does not hurt, that, that diminishes the pain. They can depend on others to strive on their behalf and hope that somebody else will put them at the top of their list of priorities. They can find friends and family that can be counted on and distance themselves from the people who are most dangerous to them, if at all possible. They can seek help physically, mentally, emotionally, and psychologically to try to repair the damage that has been done. My Buddhist practice says that it starts one person at a time. It starts with me right now to look deep inside and find the courage to build a personal powerhouse of strength built on finding personal mission to find what is that gift that I came into the world to give and to focus my attention on how to give that to the best of my ability. It calls on each of us to raise the life condition of who we are and who we want to be and to treat others, all others, no matter how we look at them or where we see them in our frame of reference, as precious people and to help them whenever we can. And this is what I'm trying to do. If this, if any of what I've been saying here today rings true for you, I hope that you will vote on November 6th in whatever way, shape, or form it, it makes sense to you. And I hope that you will encourage other people to vote. Democracy has always been based on the individual uh, standing up for what they believe and holding the people they have voted into office accountable. And yet so many of us uh, stand back and think somebody else can do it or my, my vote doesn't really count, but it does. And so today I'm asking each of you to stand up, walk or run or whatever you do to go to the voting booth and vote. Please join me again next week uh, on Monday for another, um, another uh, episode of Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. This is Leanne Meyer. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with your host, Leanne Meyer. Be sure to join us again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a productive and insightful week.